Amen. Have you come to worship Jesus this morning? Amen. tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken come on sing it church cause my feet doesn't stand a chance when I
lifted in this place, we worship you. We honor your presence, Lord. Jesus, 
all sing that again. Jesus, we love Jesus, we Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? You believe that? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? All the world can come in and have their sins removed. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful?
next to you and say it's great to be in the house of God. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you this morning. This is a wonderful day in God's house. We uh, had a couple of membership classes that we were not able to receive due to COVID, and then it just kept getting pushed back to realize we need to get some things back on track the way it ought to be. Hello? Everybody all right with that? And uh, thank you for being here this morning and for making space as is appropriate. Appreciate your help and support. So I'm going to ask the board members and spouses to join me on the platform. If you'd come now and please social distance across the platform. And as I call your name uh, for membership, if you'd come and stand at the front, then again, please keep an appropriate distance between you as you come up would be appreciated. And um, this, is, this goes back to March and April. So my apologies that we're that far behind. We'll try to not let that happen. And if your name is not called today and you filled out a membership application, please let us know because that was a long time ago. And there may have been some drop balls along the way, so apologize for that. Look at this. Yeah, this is, the board hasn't grown. They're just a little more divided today. So as I read your name, if you'd quickly come to the front, Alex Duncan, Brett Duncan, and Vicki Duncan. Are the Duncans here this morning? They were scheduled to be here this morning. Pardon me? Oh, they're in the classic service. So welcome to them in the classic service. Um, Amy Gummert and Doug Gummert and Sue Gummert, if you'd come to the front. Carol Tompkins and uh, Bill is traveling for his job, so Carol, if you would come. Um, Elizabeth Quick, Brittany Wilson and Brock Wilson. Sarah Cummins and Sean Cummins. Jonathan Grundemeyer and Valerie Grundemeyer. Might have put an extra syllable in there, sorry. <laughs> it just rolled out easier that way. And D. Prawl. D. Prawl. All right, over here, great. Well, we're going to do this a little bit differently. I'm obviously not going to have the board uh, come around the front and shake your hand, but want you to look at the board behind you and understand that we are welcoming you this morning to membership. Glad to have you as part of the Brian family. I want to read a scripture to you. I'll give you a chance to applaud. We'll all just give them a raucous round of applause in a moment. Um, but I want to read a scripture and have prayer, and then we want to officially 
welcome you. It's from the book of Ephesians, and it's one of my favorite prayers in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and I pray this for all of you, but especially for our new members this morning. Paul said, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking God, keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Membership means something here. It means that you've chosen to identify with us and serve with us. And for that, we are very, very grateful. I want you to know that we love all of you and uh, thank you for joining with us. So if you would now turn and face the congregation and um, we'll also be receiving second service, Tiffany Fleming will join us during second service. Would you, congregation and board, extend your hand toward these new members at Berean and let's just pray for God's blessing and anointing on their lives. Jesus, we thank you for each one of these individuals who have made a decision to identify as part of our church family here at Berean. I thank you for their heart for you and their passion to serve you. I thank you for the anointing that is already evident on their lives as they have walked with you. We pray, God, that you will continue to bless and anoint them, that you will fit them into the body in places where you have designed for them to serve and that their outreach to the community around us will be effective and powerful. We thank you for them. We commit them now to you, to, to your care and keeping as we give thanks, heartfelt, grateful thanks for their investment and involvement here as part of Berean Church. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, would you give a big welcome? So again, thank you for identifying with us. You may be seated. God bless you. And uh, board members and spouses may be seated as well. Thank you. We're so glad to have you part of our church family. Amen. Isn't God good? Well, we're going to enter into the Word in just a couple of minutes, and hopefully this video will help get you there.
Well, I've titled our study this morning, It's Time to Fight Back. And um, that is in relationship to Nehemiah chapter 4. Any application you make, you will be responsible for. There does come a time in the life of the believer when it's appropriate to fight back. There are times that it is appropriate and God required that you turn the other cheek. And while I'm not preaching that message this morning, turning the other cheek is directly in relationship to someone who has offended you or been offended by you. But there are other times that there are greater issues at stake. There are times when the apostles did not turn the other cheek but fought back. And when there are issues at stake that threaten the advancement of the kingdom of God, that's not the time to be a spiritual pacifist. It's time then to be a spiritual warrior. There is a time to seek peace and pursue it. There are times to put on the armor of God and fight back. And Nehemiah chapter 4 shows us what kind of context would call us out of turning the other cheek to a place of picking up our sword. The people of God have arrived back in Jerusalem and the work has begun. And we understand that what God began in the temple in the beginning of Ezra isn't completed until it reaches the city walls. And the biggest battle we'll face will not be in restoring the temple structure nor in restoring temple worship but in restoring the walls of the city. When the message of Jesus Christ moves outside the building into the community, that's when battles of an intense nature will begin. In chapters one, two, and three, things seem to be going pretty well. They're working on the wall, the wall is coming up, and then opposition sets in as it always does. So again, there comes a time when you can't ignore the reality of the opposition, and you need to fight back. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and see what we can discern from the teaching of Scripture. First, I want you to see that they were attacked by anger. There was an angry, vicious attack coming against the people of God who were doing what? Not only have they rebuilt the temple and established worship, they're trying to defend their city. They're trying to make their city better. But not everybody sees it that way on the outside of the city, and that will make them angry. So I need you to hear something from my heart. Any stands that I take, politically, socially, or morally, are never intended to be harmful to anyone but is intended to defend the biblical precepts. And when we defend the biblical precepts, we will strengthen our city. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And people that love sin and ungodliness will fight back and fight back hard. The Bible says in the beginning of chapter 4, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. Let me tell you what those words actually mean. It means angry and greatly incensed. (laughs) The 
dictionary says this word means that he was ablaze with anger. It means to burn or be kindled with anger, to grieve and sorrow. He is very, very angry at the re restoration of the city of God, Jerusalem. Now, I just want to make it clear this morning that there is a legitimate, identifiable, definable, and provable hatred against Christianity in particular around the world. When you look at the oppression there is around the world, the attacks against Christianity far exceed attacks against any other religious group on the planet. It far exceeds any attacks on Islam. It far exceeds any attacks on any of the cults. It far exceeds any attacks on Buddhism or any other religious structure. The BBC did a report recently that persecution of Christians in parts of the world is near genocide level. This was a report that was ordered by Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt, and he says evidence shows not only the geographic spread of anti-Christian persecution, but also its increasing in severity. In recent years, Christian persecution, or I should say persecution against Christians, has been sharply on the rise, and its impact is only now beginning to be felt on a global scale. In fact, according to Pope Francis, conditions for Christians are worse today in the world than they were in the days of the early church. Today, 300 million Christians are suffering persecution. In 2014, there was open persecution against Christians in 108 countries. In 2015, that rose to 128. And in 2017, 143 nations of the world were openly and legally oppressing and persecuting Christians. Statistically, 75% of religiously motivated violence and oppression is suffered by Christians. I'm going to read that again. Globally, 75% of all religiously motivated violence and oppression is being experienced and suffered by Christians. That includes physical abuse, imprisonment, kidnappings, destruction of property, fines, torture, murder, and genocide. There is a spirit of hatred in the world against Christianity above any other group in the world. The church in Iran exploded in growth over the past 10 years as the people of the Islamic Republic began to lose faith in their Islamic government and also in Islam itself. In 2013, Tehran's Assemblies of God Church building was officially closed, one of the last building or brick-and-mortar churches that were holding services in that country. Today, all buildings in Tehran are closed. In Iran are closed. All church buildings are closed. All Christians are forced to meet in private homes, in parks, or some other location as all of them are illegal. House church leaders are arrested, interrogated, imprisoned, yet the church continues to grow. Yes, there is estimates that as many as one million Iranians are following Jesus Christ today. I read the story of a pastor in Baghdad who had left his house, hopping into his car, putting the keys into ignition, starting the car as he had done numerous times. 
at that exact moment, an explosion ripped through the car, violently shaking the vehicle and at the same time engulfing his vehicle in flames. He says, I was totally confused. I couldn't see anymore. The young pastor named Joseph remembers through uh, disorientation and shock that he could hear a woman's voice piercing his ears. This man is dying, she screamed. That's it, Pastor Joseph thought. I am dying. And against all odds, Pastor Joseph was able to exit the burning vehicle. His sight returned him in time to see the wreckage engulfed in flames. Each part of my car was destroyed and damaged except for my seat. I had no scratches. The car was in flames, but I wasn't burned. I found pieces of glass in my hair. Four parts of the bomb were embedded in my scarf that was around my neck as if a scarf could stop a bomb. Nothing touched me. I lost not even a drop of blood. I'm telling you that Jesus is bigger than the attacks of the enemy, and we have to believe that. You say, well, then why are there any martyrs? I'll tell you why. The martyrs will have a better resurrection. And there are martyrs that will seal their faith with their blood. But I believe there are moments in time when God says, I want you to know I'm in charge. And if I want to stop the attack, I can. If I want to put a stop to your evil endeavors, I can. And there are moments that the miracles rise up and the world sees that there is still a God in heaven who can stop the hand of the enemy while allowing some of his children to give the greatest testimony they can give scripturally that is to seal their testimony with their blood. There is a hatred worldwide against Christianity, and it's time that we understand it and fight back. Now, how does this anger manifest itself? Well, in Nehemiah chapter 4, anger produces ridicule. How many of you have ever been made fun of? Let me see your hands. Ever. How many of you love being made fun of? I hate it. It diminishes you. It insults you. It makes you feel small. It makes you feel as though you want to pull back. And I believe one of the greatest tools the devil has against believers is mockery and ridicule. And please forgive me for this. I'm going to try my best to not become political, but if you watch television, if you read the news, if you watch social media, the greatest tool being used publicly against believers now is mockery and ridicule. When you say that you stand for Jesus and righteousness, get ready because they're going to ridicule you, mock you, and make fun of you. What is the point of that? to stop the work of God that you're engaged in and be sure of this. When ridicule comes against you for your faith, you kick the devil's lair and it's time to fight back and keep proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. They mocked the Jews, you feeble Jews. A fox would break down your walls. All you have are burnt stones. Anger will produce mockery and ridicule. When that didn't work and the people continued to work, then anger produced threats. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but angry people will threaten you physically. They'll threaten you emotionally and spiritually, but they'll certainly threaten you physically. Progress is being made on the walls, and they are even more angry, and so the enemy plots to fight against Jerusalem. Now, as I've already said, while God can stop the attacks of the enemy, there are times he's going to let you fight the battle to the death. 
because I think there is something extremely powerful in a man or woman that in the face of death refuses to recant and holds their ground, sealing it with their blood. Don't think for a minute that some of the threats that are out there today, even in our own country against the church, are idle threats. There are forces at work even today that intend on stopping the church and shutting down the church. So when anger wells up, you'll have ridicule and threats, and the threats are real. Now, let me tell you another way that anger works, though. Do you know where the most effective place that anger works? Is when it gets inside of you. That didn't happen here, but how many know it can happen, and when you're angry, you can undo the work of God. I shouldn't tell you this, and I want you to know that I affirm those who want to wear masks, we have them available, affirm you in that, and want everyone to feel welcome, and when I go into places that require wearing a mask, I wear a mask. It's not a battle I'm going to fight. It just isn't. I'll wear them wherever I go. Now, when I'm riding my motorcycle, I don't wear a mask. Or in my car alone, but I understand that. So don't take this wrongly. But there's an attitude on both sides of the equation. How many of you know that? And the attitude on both sides is wrong. So I'm going into a place that I will just simply refer to as Walmart. And I'm carrying my mask in my hand. I will put it on. I don't have any problem with putting it on. As I'm, I'm still out in the parking lot. And a young Walmart worker, punk, I mean Walmart worker, <laughs> before I even get out of the parking lot, walks up to me and says, do you have a mask? Oh, Dear Jesus, help me. <laughs> I had all kinds of things I wanted to say. Yeah. I'm not even the park in the parking lot. I'm not even in the store yet. Where's your badge? Who made you a ruler and judge over me? Open your eyes, boy. You'd see it in my hand. All those things are going through my head. How many are hearing me? Come on. How many are hearing me? And I heard God say to me, careful. There might be an opportunity to share Jesus with him. And I thought, not today. <laughs> I'm just being honest. You're going to have to send another missionary. This one got ticked off. I'm just telling you, I'm as human as you are. But the reality is, when anger gets on the inside, it destroys your ability to do the work that God's called you to do. And the attack of anger isn't always external. Sometimes the angry attack becomes internalized and you're going to say or do something that will eliminate your ability. Listen, we are not, listen to me this morning. We are not called to win political arguments. We're not called in just our interpersonal relationships. There's a place for that. We're not called to fight fights of lesser means. We have been called to lead men and women to Jesus Christ. And in all of your battles, make sure that you don't sacrifice the ability to tell people that Jesus loves them. That would have been a great place for an amen. amen. <laughs> Anger is a debilitating force. And when it gets inside you, it's destructive. 
So what did they do? They worked hard. They just worked harder. When the world comes after you, what do you do? Work harder. You're going to tell me to quit preaching? I'm going to preach louder. Listen, what we're dealing with here, you can call it a slippery, uh, uh, you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> you can call it a slippery slope into oppression. But there are times it's not a slippery slope, it's cooperation. And you have to learn the difference. And we are not yet Iran, Iraq, or Afghanistan. We are a long ways from there. Be careful. Work harder. Put your shoulder to the wheel. Let's reach this generation in the midst of all of the obstacles. Work harder and then pray. Now, let me just show you something. Those of you are, some of you are, are not going to be happy with this message. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. There's a time, now watch, there's a time to pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed that from the cross. Why did he pray that prayer? Because there was not a single, listen, there was not a single Jew in Jerusalem who believed for a second that they were crucifying the Messiah. They did not believe he was the Messiah. They were deluded in their understanding. They were praying for the Messiah to come. And when they crucified him, they believed they were crucifying an imposter. They did not believe they were crucifying the Messiah. And because their eyes were blinded, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Lay not this into their charge. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But there are other times when people know what they're doing. And their attack against the church and against you and against faith is real. Do you have examples of that in the Bible? Oh, oh yeah, I do. I was reading in the book of Acts. Came to chapter 5. There's a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. People were giving their all to the church so the church could grow and prosper. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted credit for giving all, but they didn't want to give all. So they gave half when they didn't have to give any. They didn't have to give any. But they gave half and lied and said, we gave all. And do you know what Peter prayed? Father, forgive them? Not at all. He said, Ananias, did you give all of the money? Like you said, oh, yes, all the money. He said, why have you chosen to lie to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to men, but to God. And God struck him. You read it. God struck him dead. That's pretty serious praying. If you've got that gift, don't pray for me. <laughs> Sapphira walks in. Hey, Safi. Your husband said that you gave it all. Was that all? And she said, yes, it was all of it. And he says, the feet of them that carried your husband out the door are here, and they will carry you out as well. And she died on the spot. I'm just telling you, we have to understand there are two sides to the kingdom. Hello? Yeah. And be careful what you pray. 
I read another account in the book of Acts when there was a sorcerer who got in the way of the work of God. And when Paul affronted him in, or confronted him in Acts chapter 13, here's what he said. You who are filled with deception and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Do you know if I were quoted saying that to someone in the paper, there would be a board meeting. <laughs> you, wow. Will you not cease to pervert the right way of the Lord? Behold, now the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a season. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on Elimus, Elimus, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Do you see what just happened? The same man who prayed and God opened the eyes of the blind prayed and God blinded the eyes that were open. There are times when God takes strong measure. What is the difference? People who are in ignorance will get the long suffering of God. But those who in willful rebellion fight against the work of God, it becomes time for the church to fight back and say, God, stop their mouth, stop their efforts, stop their work, whatever it takes. You don't have to be afraid of this. I'm not giving out pitchforks after the service. I'm simply trying to get you to see that spiritual warfare is real and the church can't be pacifist toward the attacks of the enemy, that there's a time to stand up and fight back. So then they posted a guard. They were alert to the threats. And in verse six, the people began to work with all their hearts. What do you do when anger shows itself? Work hard, pray, and post a guard. But the outcome or the consequence of threat was then they began to struggle with discouragement. You can only be on the battle line so long. Have you ever had a boss that just really needed to repent? <laughs> and you can hold up against that for so long, but then it begins to wear you down. How many know that we're in the battle after a period of time? Is anyone hearing me right now? It begins to wear you down. You begin to get tired. Discouragement and fear set in, beginning in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, they posted a guard to meet the threat. They're ready to fight back. And the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out, and there is so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Do you know people rarely complain about what the real issue is? There is so much pressure on them, and the threats are so real that now all they can see is the rubble. They don't talk about the threats. They want to give up and talk about the rubble. When people come in with discouragement to talk to me, it's rarely what's really bothering them that they blame. They'll blame the rubble. The rubble's not the problem. The rubble is they're tired. They were working hard with the rubble and now with the pressure that's on them, all they can see is what they can't do. All they can see is the, how big the task is. All they can see is it's impossible to conquer this. We can't do this. The problem's never the rubble. The problem's your discouragement. The problem's never the load around you. It's what's happening within you. Discouraged people can only see the rubble. So what does Nehemiah do? 
verse 11, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, then they talk about the real problem, we'll be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. And then, don't, don't you love friends? They have friends that show up and said, listen, we're telling you, they're gonna attack you. You know, thou shalt surely die, Job's wife said. You know, it's just, why don't you curse God and die? There's all of those pressures that come and it's being reinforced. So what did Nehemiah do? He said, let's take a break and go fishing. Let's, I, what I'd have done is I'd have bought everybody a pecan pie. <laughs> let's have some pie and ice cream and relax. Not, a ch not in the middle of the battle. There'll be a time to relax, but it's not in the middle of the battle. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and the exposed places, posting them by families with sword, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, don't be afraid of them. So what do you do? What do you do when discouragement hits? The first thing you need to do is arm yourself. Pick up the armor of God. Do you know there are tools there to encourage yourself in the Lord? I don't know if you know this, but reading the word of God is a refreshing time. If you'll spend time meditating in the word of God, pick up your sword and begin to use it. Do you know that in the character or the counting of the armor of God, we're told to pray in the spirit. Why? Because praying in the spirit edifies you. When discouragement comes against you, put on your armor. Pick up your weapons and fight back against that. Immerse yourself in the word. Saturate yourself in his presence. In his presence, there's what? Fullness of joy. Pray in the spirit and enjoy the blessing of God because a break away from the battle won't refresh you. But the presence of God will always refresh you. And let me tell you uh, another thing. Look at verse 14. He says, don't be afraid of them. I want to talk to you just for a second about your mind. How many brought one with you today? Seven. That's more than I counted on. <laughs> How many of you have a mind? You have more authority given by God in your mind than you realize. Scripture tells us to take imaginations captive. Peter tells us to gird up the loins of our mind, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Scripture is telling us that God gave you a mind for a reason, and you have authority. Some of you are fighting imaginary wars today, that you need to take captive and shut them down. Everybody doesn't hate you, everybody's not against you. And others of you are afraid of the battle that you're in. You need to take that captive. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in torment. You can take those things captive. We're reading a secular book with our team and it talks about the power of the mind to deal with fears and frustrations, how to handle those. And I'm saying to you that if a secular author can talk about the power of your mind to fight back, how much more those of us who have a mind that's anointed by the Spirit of God, because God has not given us a spirit of, of fear, but what? Of power, of love, and a sound mind. And your battle against discouragement is in the mind. Yes. 
And you can fight back. It's time to fight back against discouragement. It's time to fight back against fear. Don't be a victim. Don't sit there in fear. Fight back. Gird up the loins of your mind and fight back. He armed them. And then here's what he says. Arm yourself. They picked up their weapons. Don't be afraid. And remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. <laughs> Have we forgotten just how big he is? <laughs> I read in the paper this morning, or not the paper, who reads the paper? Where did that come from? I read on my digital device from a news source that COVID in the US is now the number three killer of Americans. Now, before you swallow that down, just understand that anyone who dies and has COVID is counted as a COVID-related death. I mean, just understand that. But there's no denying that it's having an influence and an impact on our nation. I've already said, when I go in places, I wear a mask. I believe you need to take precaution. Look around. We have closed rows. We're asking for six-foot distancing. I'm okay with all of that. Are you hearing me right now? However, we are not people of fear. We're people of faith. And our God is a big God. And when it's my time to go... It could be a car accident. It could be some other disease. It could be a random act of violence. It could be all kinds of things. Don't, whoever said that? Who said old age? I rebuke that. I'm just. <laughs> yeah, you're right, old age. It could be any number of things. But I don't sit around afraid to get in my car. I don't sit around afraid to go outside because here's what I believe. As long as I'm walking in wisdom and not presumption and I'm doing the right things and I'm honoring God, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord and he is a righteous God and he's a big God and he's a miracle working God and get your eyes off the rubble and get them up on the hill from whence comes our help. The hill of heaven, the source of Jesus. Remember how big he is. If you don't do that every now and then, something will break. And let me tell you something. The next generation depends on our winning some battles today. They're watching how we're handling this. And are we going to transfer wisdom and faith? or fear and capitulation. It's time to fight back against discouragement and say, I will not live there. Hello? Nehemiah says, take up your weapon, gird up your mind, and let's remember how big God is. And what did they do? They continued to build. So here's the biggest problem. So they've had this attack from the outside. They've had this this discouragement and fear. Do you know what the next big problem is when you conquer that? Is you've got to guard against complacency. I think the great killer of church progress is complacency. Yes. When we get to a place that 
this is okay, I can handle this. We can become complacent with the world as it is. Now, how do you deal with complacency? Again, they continued. This is amazing. They were to work <laughs> with their sword in one hand while they worked with the other. Now, was it because the threat was that direct? I don't think so. It was to remind them that the threat was real and they had weaponry to use. Put on your armor. Carry the weaponry around. Have it with you always. Time's coming. I, and let me just say to you, I, I just believe there are days ahead we've got to be ready for. I did this once with a youth group. I had all of the youth group members put their Bible on the platform. And then I asked them to write down for the next 10 minutes all the scriptures they could remember. It wasn't enough to redeem a mosquito. It wasn't much. What happens if your Bible is taken away? It's only what you've committed to your heart. When you're in the middle of the battle and something rises up in front of you, you can't say to someone, hey, I'll be right back. Let me go get my Bible because I think it says something about that. But if you have prepared yourself everywhere you go, when I go, when I work, whatever I do, wherever I go, I'm carrying my sword in one hand. I've committed scriptures to memory. I've spent time soaking in the word of God. I want to know what it says. Is anyone hearing me right now? When you go to battle, keep your sword. That'll guard against complacency. Keep the word of God alive in you. Complacent people are people who are not living in the word and don't understand the power and the reality of the battle that we're in. And then we're to support one another. He says an interesting thing. So we continued the work of verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out at night. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workers by day. And then he says, let me back up a little bit. Going back up to verse 19, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Do you know how they began to work then with everything that follows? They worked not only with a sword in one hand to protect themselves, they worked with an ear listening for a brother or sister who was in trouble. There's an alertness. You might be fine, but somebody else might not be. Complacency will dissipate when you're listening, when you're listening for what other people are going through, where they might be struggling, where you'll hear their voice. And here's the issue. You can't hear what you're not listening for. Have you ever noticed a group of kids, we had... Well, I'm not going to say that. Someone, never mind. Have you ever noticed when a group of kids are playing together in a confined space, it's just noise till it's one of yours that starts to cry? How many know what I'm talking about? Just noise. That's mine. Because there's a parent's ear that's tuned to hear it, their child's cry. Listen, church, I... There's so many things we can't do, and it's certain that the office, our office, can't meet the needs of everybody, but we're pretty spread out, and you can listen, 
And when you hear a call for help, you can run to their aid. That'll help get rid of complacency. When you feel a responsibility for the needs and concerns of others. And then to remain vigilant. Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem. Verse 23, neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. What, what's he saying? They didn't undress for bed. They slept with their clothes on. How many of you ever slept on purpose with your clothes on? I'm not talking about after, before you got saved and a party night. There have been a few times I've slept with my clothes on and it's always been when there was danger or need just beyond me. Uh, we were talking about, Carol was the girls ministries director for 28 years and I was the girls ministry gopher. <laughs> and the first year we were there, you couldn't put up uh, the girls couldn't stay in the cabins or the dorms. They all had to be in tents. Now think about that. They're going to be dressed up in their white best for crowning, but they're sleeping in tents. And it was a horrible thunderstorm that hit. And my job was to do whatever my wife told me to do. And there were girls that had to be moved from the water running through their tents. It's not safe back there. And we're getting them out. And um, for two nights... Um, I had my own room in a different part of the camp, but I slept with my clothes on because there was work that was going to have to be done, and I had to be ready to respond, not get rest, get dressed and respond. How many are hearing what I'm saying right now? There comes time that's not time for you to totally relax, but to stay focused on the needs of others. When the battle rises, you may be fine, but there may be another brother or sister that's facing a really, really difficult time. And you need to keep your ear tuned. Because when the trumpet sounds, it's time to fight back. So let's rehearse that just for a moment. The attack will come in anger. It may cause you to struggle with depression. And following that, you need to guard against complacency. But here's the good news. We can and must overcome. Yes, amen. So I'm calling you this morning to arise from sleep, to arise from slumber, and to put on the armor of God. Like every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. could be that you're in a place this morning and I don't want to dis diminish this at all that the attacks that are happening worldwide the attacks that are happening in our own context the riots, the threats disease, weather, fire derecho has been exhausting to you and you're just living in a place of discouragement I just want to pray that God will refresh you today. In, in the chapel here in the main auditorium or those that are watching online, obviously online I can't see you, but God does. Would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I've been in that discouraged place. 
Just lift your hand up. Thank you, thank you. Yes, hands going up all around. I want to encourage you that God has sustenance for you. And if you're in a place of complacency, I'm going to ask you to waken yourself. Because we're facing momentous times. Decisions are going to be made over the next few weeks that could affect us for generations. We need to not be complacent. We need to spiritually fight back. Could we take a moment to just stand together and just absorb the saturation of the Spirit of God as we take just a couple of minutes to worship Him together? Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This COVID culture will affect us for generations to come. 
the presidential election will affect us for years to come. The appointment of a new Supreme Court judge will affect us for years to come. We're not fighting political parties. We're fighting powers of darkness. It's time to fight back. How do we do that? We seek the face of God. We engage in spiritual warfare. Awaken yourself, rise up, and let's rebuild the walls of our city. In Jesus' name, amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands.